How is everybody? Good. Everyone's awake. Everyone's good, right? You're wide awake. Good. Oh. <laughs> okay, so I was telling uh, the Saturday services last night how lame my wife and I are. Every year for New Year's Eve, I pull out the antenna one time, well, one time a year and then every four years for the Olympics, I pull out the TV antenna and walk around and like try to hold it up and get channels. And um, we do that so we can watch New Year's Rock and Eve every year. <laughs> okay, we're confessing, right? So um, it's like watching a, a car wreck in slow motion every year, New Year's Rock and Eve. And if you watched it last night, it was rough. Um, <laughs> it was, I was, <laughs> I shouldn't say this. I got on Facebook like in the middle of it and it said that two, 2016 swept in and took one more life, uh, the career of Mariah Carey. And I was like, ooh, that's rough. Uh, it was rough. Anyways, every year I have to repent for my feelings towards Fergie and um, not in a good way by any means. Um, I had to repent last night to the, to the church. I'm like, I shouldn't make fun of Fergie as much as I do. But anyways, okay, let me get to the word. Sorry, sorry, I'm digressing. Um, okay, so if you've never been to the church, which I'm sure most of you have been, uh, what we do here is we go chapter by chapter, line by line through the Bible. The reason why I'm even bringing this up today is oftentimes uh, people come up to me and they're not bragging on me and I'm not bragging on me, but they'll come up and say, you know, it's amazing exactly what you said today is what I needed to hear. And here's what's interesting about that. If you've never been to this church, we pick what we're going to teach a year in advance. So in November, we picked the books of the Bible we're gonna do in 2017. Okay, so I knew I was gonna be doing John. I knew I would be in the first half of John. I knew this a year ago, all right? And it's interesting where we're going to fall today. We're going to do the second half of chapter 8 of John. And it's amazing how relevant it is for the first service of the year. And you'll step back and you'll be like, wow, I can't believe it fell exactly like it did. And it's amazing because the Bible always falls exactly where it needs to fall. It's amazing. It's relevant. It's pertinent. And it just shows the strength of God's Word. So today when I'm teaching this, the reason why I'm talking about this whole book of the Bible thing that we do is it's just so neat. If we trust in the Word of God, the Word of God is always on time, right? It's always perfect. If you weren't here with us a couple of weeks ago, by the way, if you came to the Advent service last weekend, how great was that, right? That was a lot of fun. Yeah, really, really good. Uh, Daniel Braithwaite did a really good job, did half of it in Spanish, and it was really, really beautiful. And Lori did a really, really good job speaking, and uh, it was just a really, really good um, service. And I hope you guys got to make it to that. Two weeks ago, we talked about this. We were in the first half of John, and we talked about that we have a choice on how close we want to be to Jesus or how distant we want to be to Jesus, okay? Our proximity to God is determined on us. And I know the Bible says that he pursues us, but it says that if we draw near, near to him, he also draws near to us. And if we push away from him, he allows us to push away sometimes, okay? So we talked about that last week. This week, we're going to talk about this. Nuts and bolts, good stuff for us to talk about at the beginning of the year. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus and what is the price of following Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ and what does it cost? What does it mean for us if we choose to follow Jesus? Okay, that's what we're going to get into a little bit today. You should have a notes handout. It has everything I'm going to say in it. I'm going to start in verse 31 of chapter 8. That's the fourth book of the Bible. Uh, John is the fourth book of the New Testament of the Bible. I'm sorry. And um, we're starting halfway through the eighth chapter on verse 31. 
You should have a notes handout. If you don't, you version the Bible app on your phone. It's free and it's got all the stuff on there. It's a, it's a pretty neat tool. And uh, you can probably get away with getting on Facebook while I'm teaching if you wanted to. I'll just think you're reading the Bible back there because I assume the best out of all of you, right? And so uh, anyways, let me pray. We'll jump into this. I'm gonna repent for my feeling towards Ryan Seacrest and Mariah Carey and Fergie and then we'll move on with our year, okay? All right, Lord Jesus, God, I love you. <sighs> God, on a serious note, I just want to thank you so much for this church. Lord, I am so blessed that I get to be in company with the people in this room. Um, I love these people, and I know that they love you, God, and uh, they're wonderful people to be around. Thank you. Jesus, I pray in 2017 that you bless all the churches in our community. I pray that you bless the leadership and give them wisdom, and I pray that we can advance your kingdom, God. I pray, Lord, that you touch our city. I pray that you touch our government officials, our mayor, Shane. I pray, God, that you just bless him and give him wisdom as he leads us this year. I pray, God, that you touch our nation. I pray that you start to bring peace to our nation, that you start to bring us back together, God. There's such a strong division right now. I pray, God, that you start to bring us together. And Lord, let us be beacons of light for that. And let us be ambassadors for you, God, to show love and to show light around us. Speak to us today, God. Help us start this year in a very positive and encouraging manner, God, that we can do whatever we can, not for our glory, but for yours in 2017. Love you and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's get to business here. It's a good lesson. It's short, but there's a lot of good stuff in here. Okay, here we go. Starting in verse 31, John chapter 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered. And we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. Therefore, if the son sets you free, you will really be free. I know you're descendants of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me because my word is not welcome among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father, capital F. Therefore, you do what you've heard from your Father, lowercase f. Our Father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you're trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your Father does. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one Father, God. Okay, so what we've already seen in the gospel, and hold on a second, I'll explain. What we've seen in the gospel already from Jesus numerous times is that faith is not enough to save us. Okay, wait a second. It says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that grace through faith saves us. So what do you mean, Corey? I'm talking about the simple belief that Jesus is God. The simple belief that Jesus died for our sins does not save us. That is a very shallow faith. Saving faith is different than just believing that Jesus is who he says he is. It says in James that the demons in hell believe that he's the son of God, but they're not saved. Saving faith comes through a complete dependency on Jesus, and we remain in that faith when we remain in the Word of God. That's what Jesus says. So what remaining in the Word of God does is it gives us the truth, and the truth liberates us from a shallow faith and a cheap grace. 
Cheap grace is believing we can do whatever the heck we want, and God kind of turns a blind eye to it and says, oh, you're all forgiven. You know, unless you're Adolf Hitler or Mussolini, everyone is taken care of, right? And that is a very cheap grace. And so what God's Word allows us to do is God's Word, because of the truth, allows us to properly estimate our situation. And our situation is this. We are utterly dependent on Jesus, utterly dependent on Him. That's our current situation. And so the crowd that Jesus is speaking to, right? There's probably 800 people in this room and including the kids, maybe 1,000 in the building right now. But, and there, there's a crowd probably about this size. Jesus was speaking to them and there was the religious leaders. There were people that believed in him. There were people that were on the fence, a very diverse crowd, but they were all Jewish. And the non-believing Jews claimed that they didn't need to follow Jesus because their lineage was connected to Abraham. And they said, because we're part of God's chosen, we're from Abraham's descendants, that we're okay, right? We've never been enslaved. Now, what this sounds like to me is most of the mindset of modern Christianity in North America. We claim because we're fourth generation Baptist or fifth generation Catholic or second generation Pentecostal or whatever the case may be, or that we go to church on a regular basis that we're okay, right? I'm a good person. I go to church. My parents went to church. We're okay. And we're not okay by default. We have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting not only were the non-believing Jews' theology not very strong, their history kind of sucked too, right? The Jews in their arrogance had forgotten that their ancestors had been slaves. Jesus was probably thinking, he's like, if you guys say you've never been slaves, who do you think built the, the, uh, the pyramids in Egypt, right? I mean, like, they had been enslaved to the Egyptians. They had been enslaved to the Assyrians. They had been slaves to the Persians under the Greeks. And even when they're talking to Jesus, they were under Roman oppression, right? Jerusalem was a Roman province, a Roman city, not a Jewish city. It was under control of the Romans. And we do the same thing, though, guys. Listen, over time... We grow comfortable, we grow apathetic, even with our own bondage, we grow comfortable with it, and we forget that we are enslaved to the things around us. Most of you are like, Corey, I'm not a slave to anything. I am free. Why don't you get on your iPhone and check how many hours you've logged into Facebook? Ooh, right? And we start to see when you've logged in 200-something hours, 300-something hours, 500-something hours, right? When we start to see, wow, I am bound to this. Guys, this is the whole reason why we do a 40-day fast every year. And this is why the media part of it is so important. Sometimes we just need to check ourselves, right? Sometimes we need to distance ourselves. You know, one of the parts of my fast, probably the part that I hate the most, I don't drink coffee for 40 days, which my staff absolutely hates me the first 10 days of that fast, right? I'm going through headaches and I'm like, ah, running around like crazy because I'm angry because I don't have coffee. But what that lets me realize is I've become too dependent on that. I need to step away from that. And so sometimes we need to put some distance and we become bound by things even if we don't realize it sometimes. Here's the thing though. We typically don't understand that we're a slave to something until we've tasted freedom from it. I don't understand how dependent I am on coffee until I have 10 days without it. And then I wake up refreshed in the morning and I haven't had any stimulant to wake me up. And I'm like, wow, I feel better without drinking a gallon of coffee every day. Amazing. And until we realize that we have not had freedom, we don't understand that we've been in slavery. I've got a really good friend named Kelvin Jackson. He lives in DC now. He used to live here and go to church here. 
Kelvin is in the Secret Service. And I used to go to Nashville, I don't know, every five or six weeks, and we'd have lunch in Nashville together, he and I. Really good friend of mine, his whole family. And so I was in Nashville one time, and I'm visiting Kelvin, and I went into his office. He took me into the Secret Service office, which is everything you'd imagine, right? Like nondescript building, and there's codes at every door, and everyone's wearing black suits, except for me. I was wearing like a David Bowie shirt and some cutoff shorts, and they probably thought I was a criminal. And anyway, so I went in, and he takes me to his desk, and he's got a stack of counterfeit $100 bills, probably $2,500 worth of counterfeit $100 bills. And he says, have you ever seen counterfeit money? And I'm like, no. And I took it and I'm looking at it. I'm like, man, it looks like the real thing to me. And he says, well, it's not. And he told me why. And I said, well, how do you know that? And he says, well, when they train us to spot counterfeit, what they do is they let us handle and learn about the real thing. So it's only when we know the real thing that we understand what is fake. And so it's the same thing with our freedom. Until we understand or get a taste of freedom, we don't understand how depraved and how enslaved that we are. But this is what Jesus came to do, right? We're in darkness, wandering around, not, know where, not knowing where we're going. Jesus shines the light on us, exposes the chains that hold us, and then he breaks those if we allow him to do so. That's what Jesus came to do, to illuminate the slavery and free us from the slavery and the bondage. What is the bondage? The bondage is sin. That is what holds us. I love this analogy. This is so good and you can miss it if you just kind of you know, go through this chapter really quickly. Jesus says this. He says, anyone who's a slave of sin, uh, I'm sorry, anyone who sins is a slave of that. And we live in a culture right now that says, I'm free. You Christians are the ones that are bound. I can do whatever I want, right? I'm free. They don't understand that they're bound to their addiction, they're bound to sex, they're bound to their lusts and desires and their materialism and their greed. And Jesus says, if you're sinning, you're a slave. And slaves are not welcome to live in the household. But he says, if you're adopted into the family, if you're a son, if you're a daughter, then you can stay in the household forever. Now, what does that mean? It means this. When we become Christians, when we give our life to Christ, we are not perfect, guys. You're still gonna make mistakes. But here's the difference between a Christian who has given their life to Christ and someone who lives in their sin, right? Shackled to their change, chains. The, the difference between liberation and rebellion or, or, or slavery is this. Christians have a compass put inside of them by God. That's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit convicts us when we're not going the right direction. And when we get off the right direction, we simply ask Jesus to forgive us and he forgives us and restores us. So what liberation means is this, we have a compass to tell us when we're off and we have a God to forgive us and put us back on track. That's liberation, that's freedom. And we have that through Jesus Christ. So Jesus says this, he said that he is presenting to the Jews what he has heard from his father, capital F. That's important. Again, little things you can miss. Capital F means God, right? Father, the father. He says, I've heard this from the father, but you're doing what you've seen your father do, which is not God. We're gonna learn who that father is here in a second. But what we learn is this, and younger people in the room, you should take note of this. It's a subtle reminder that we will act like the one that we choose to follow. Now, I know that's an understatement, but if we are constantly following the culture of the world, if all we do is immerse ourselves in the culture of the world, it's no wonder that we are producing the fruit of the world. 
If we immerse ourselves in what the world thinks of family and relationships and marriage and what the, fam- what the world thinks of violence and sexual activity, it's no wonder that we produce the same things in the church that the world is producing. We've immersed ourselves in that culture. We're not following the Father, capital F. We're following something else. And so what Jesus said was this. The Jews said, we follow Abraham, right? He's like one of the heroes of the Jewish faith. We follow Abraham. And the non-believers lashed out and they said, we're on the right track. And Jesus said, wait a second. You say you follow Abraham, but you don't act like Abraham. You're not acting like him. In fact, you're acting the opposite of Abraham. You want to kill me. Abraham didn't want to kill me. Abraham wasn't rebellious. He goes, you're not acting like your father, Abraham. And here's what we see from this. Guys, and Christianity has dropped the ball in 2016 on this statement. Um, Election years are not good years for Christianity, if we're going to be honest. We show our butts on both sides of the aisle, and we are not very good about acting Christ-like in the political arena most of the time, if we're being honest. Here's what the Bible says, though. We are to be slow to anger, and we are to be slow at always voicing our opinions. Christians in here do not get in meaningless debates on Facebook. You know the Bible actually says to avoid meaningless debates? You know the Bible says that? Then Christians think they're going to win the world over by putting their political views on Facebook. I'm not saying you shouldn't have political views. I'm not saying that you shouldn't even have strong convictions about those things. But why don't you get a cup of coffee with someone that thinks differently than you instead of arguing and hiding behind keyboards? That is not the way to do it. The Bible teaches us moderation. The Bible teaches us peace. In fact, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And we have not been that in 2016. We're not to get involved in violent activism. We're not to get into condemning tones and looking down at other people. That's not what Christians are supposed to be doing. And so what happens is, as we see, this is how the world operates. They're the ones that get violent. They're the ones that get condemning. And that's not what we're supposed to do. So what we see is this. Jesus called out the Jews because they said they followed God, but they didn't act like they followed God. And he called them out on that. And here's what they did. They essentially called Jesus a bastard. Look at what it says. It says it right here. It says, um, well, we weren't born of sexual immorality. They're referring to the fact that Jesus's mother got pregnant before she was married to Joseph. And so more than likely, wherever Jesus went, they would bring this up. Well, your mom was 14 years old and got pregnant before she was married. You're a bastard, Jesus. And they would bring this into his face. That's a very low blow when you start talking about his mother like that. But this is probably something that happened to Jesus quite frequently. So what we see is this. We see that the theology of these Jewish people, ours today, is quite liberal. What I mean by liberal, I don't mean liberal in the left-wing sense that most people say it. Liberal in the fact that it just wasn't very solid. And in this chapter, we see how liberal their theology was. Essentially, what they believed is if they just verbally associated themselves with God, that they were saved. (laughs) 75% of the United States claims to be Christian. Now, I don't know if you guys look at pop culture. I don't know if you guys read the news. I don't know if you guys have looked how political debates and things like that have happened. We're not displaying a 75 percentile adhesive or or, uh, um, adherence to the Bible. We're not, we're not displaying that. We say we're close to God. You know what Isaiah said? He said, your lips are close to me, but your hearts are far away. That's what Isaiah said. That's where a lot of us fall. 
And so the gospel leaves no room for universalism. And that's not even the universalism of all faiths lead us to the same heaven. That's not what I'm talking about. This is the universalism that none of us go to hell. As long as we just say that we believe in God, right? As long as we just say that we're Christians, everyone is good. And Jesus makes it clear time and time again, that is not the case. The only pathway to salvation, the only pathway to heaven is to have a relationship with not just say you're associated with Jesus, but to live in such a manner to where you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? All right, next part. So Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I'm here. For I didn't come on my own, but God sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. Well, we just dropped it there, right? And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no trust in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and he's the father of liars. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you're not from God. Now, Jesus isn't just speaking to the whole crowd. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. He just told the religious leaders in front of a huge crowd that they follow the devil, right? So Jesus kind of came back a little snappy there. If you look in the gospels though, when you read the Gospels, Jesus is very repetitive. That doesn't mean that Jesus is a bad teacher, and it actually doesn't mean that the audience was stupid. They were not stupid. The reason why Jesus was repetitive is because they were unwilling to hear the truth. He said it over and over and over again, trying to give them the opportunity to hear the truth, but they didn't want to hear it. And so Jesus addresses the unwillingness, and because they were rebellious and unwilling to hear the truth, they were acting like the devil. They were following in the devil's footsteps. Okay, so there's two parts of being a Christian, okay? True followers of Jesus not only follow Jesus, but they also deny Satan. The problem with these, these people in this, this book of the Bible that we're reading is that deep down in their hearts, they said they wanted to follow Jesus, they said they wanted to follow God, but deep down in their hearts, they wanted what they wanted. And so our problem with listening and following the truth comes because we follow the father of lies. Now, now this is the biggest understatement, and it's so simple, but it's true. It is impossible to follow Jesus when we continually walk like the devil. Some people come into my office and they say, I can't feel God. Why? Well, tell me about your life right now. Are you remaining sexually pure? Are you reading the word of God? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Where are you going? How are you spending your time? How are you spending your energy and your money? Tell me about this. And they'll tell me these things, and I'm not trying to be condemning, but I will essentially say this. If you're walking in the ways of Satan, there's no way that you can walk in the ways of Jesus. A man cannot have two masters. You can't walk in two directions. There's a reason why we don't feel God, because we are listening to the father of lies. Now, I know this slide is going to make some of you mad. Every time I say this, it makes people mad. Now, listen. I'm not against medication. I'm not against doctors. I believe it. Luke was a doctor. He was one of the writers of the Bible. He was a doctor. Jesus hung out with a doctor. 
Now, I have nothing wrong with this. If you've been to a doctor and they've done psychiatric evaluations and done blood work and they see that there is something chemically wrong and you take medication, that's great. I believe in medication. That's fine. But let me tell you this. I'm going to get on a soapbox for a second. It is no wonder that we live in a culture that is drowning in depression, anxiety, fear, and insecurity. The reason why we are drowning in these things, and it shouldn't shock us, is that we as a people, we as a culture, have immersed ourselves in things that are counterintuitive to the Bible. Listen, and when we're hanging around things that are counterintuitive to the Bible, Jesus said they are packed full of lies. It's no wonder why young women are drowning in insecurity because they're looking at Cosmopolitan magazine that's photoshopped some woman to be a size that you can't be, to look in a way that you can't look. It's no wonder why marriages are falling apart. So many men are addicted to pornography and they're watching that expecting that their wife is to act like that and that women think like that. I don't know if you guys know this or not. They get paid to act like that. And the reason they act like that is because they're getting tons of money. And those women are suicidal. And those women are addicted to drugs. And those women didn't have fathers in their lives. They're getting torn apart and you're contributing to it. And so we've subscribed to these lies and we live in this culture that is so broken and jacked up and insecure. And that's because all we're hearing is crap. All we're hearing is things that is not true. Listen, again, this is why we do this fast. We remove ourselves from that thing. We reset and we turn off the radio and we turn off the TV and we turn off all this other garbage. And maybe then if we remove ourselves from the constant bombardment of lies from every corner, maybe then we can hear the truth. Maybe then we can understand where our true identity lies. Not in our likes on Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram or whatever the case may be not in whatever's popular, not in our bodies or how many people we've slept with or how much we've partied, that we can find our identity in the truth, not in all these lies. But listen, the truth of Jesus sails over the heads of people who are unwilling to separate themselves from the lies. You can say I'm legalistic all day long, but what you listen to, what you watch, who you hang out with and where you go is vitally important to your spiritual health. Vitally important to your spiritual health. Okay, off the soapbox. So, Following Jesus is simple in instruction, right? If you get into the Bible, the Bible's not overtly complicated, right? Most of it, even the Ten Commandments, honor God, honor your parents, treat others as you want to be treated, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet your neighbor's wife. I mean, simple stuff, right? These are simple things. But when we apply them to real life, sometimes it can be difficult. And to follow Christ simply means we believe in what he says and we believe in what his word says. Not just believe in it, we do it to the best of our abilities. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my... Thank you. Yes, yes. So true discipleship, following Jesus, to be a true follower of Jesus, hinges not on being perfect or being talented or your lineage or your intelligence. To be a follower of Jesus hinges on your willingness. Do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want to give everything? Do you want to commit? Do you want to walk closer to him? This is what Jesus said. Jesus said this, and this is not referring to prosperity gospel bullcrap that people teach you sometimes. Man, if you just pray hard enough for a new car, you're going to get it. Jesus does not care if you drive a new car, right? This is what Jesus cares about. He cares if you have the truth. And Jesus said, if you keep asking, you're going to get it. 
If you keep searching, you're going to find. If you keep knocking, the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds. That's not talking about money. That's not talking about wealth and fame and power. This is talking about if you keep digging for the truth, you will find the truth. That's why every single service, when I end service, I say if there's any non-believers in here, if you genuinely are looking for Jesus, if you're genuinely looking for the truth, you'll find it. You'll find it. Because Jesus said, if you go looking, you're going to find the truth. If you're genuine, if your heart, if you have a willingness to want to know the answer, the answer will be provided. Okay? Last part. Does anyone else have any like weird things they do for New Year's? My weird thing my, my wife does is we always eat General Tso's chicken on New Year's. Does anyone have anything weird like that? No? That's just us. Anyways, New Year's Rock and Eve, Chinese food. That's it. All right? <laughs> I was saying that because I'm hungry and I'm going to go home and I'm going to eat General Tso's chicken. That's it. That's, uh, I've got it waiting for me. So we're going to blow through this last part really quick. And uh, <laughs> Okay, here we go. <laughs> the Jews responded to him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? I do not have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my glory. The one who seeks it also judges. I assure you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, ever. Then the Jews said, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death ever. Are you greater than Abraham who died? Even the prophets died. Who do you pretend to be? If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father, you say about him, he's our God. He is the one who glorifies me. You've never known him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham was overjoyed that he would see my day. He saw it and rejoiced. The Jews replied, you're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, I assure you, before Abraham was, I am. Remember that statement. At that statement, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple complex. They just tried to kill Jesus. So the conversation gets ugly, right? Here's what happened. When Jesus would not stoop down to their level and throw insults back, right? When he wouldn't get caught in the mud, they lost their cool and they showed exactly how dark their hearts were. When they called Jesus a Samaritan, that was a derogatory term. That was like a racial slur. So they say a racial slur to him. And then they say, you must be demon possessed, which that's the most offensive thing you can say to the son of God, right? You must have a demon in you. You must be evil. And so they really took a low blow there. And how does Jesus respond to that? Jesus keeps his cool. He stays composed. Listen, 1 Peter 3, 9. Christians, you should remember this scripture. Do not return evil for evil. Do not retaliate. Do not take revenge. Do not swing back is essentially what Jesus says. Jesus states that he didn't come for his glory, that he is honoring the Father, and they are dishonoring God because they're dishonoring him. He was God, right? And so this is like the understatement of the year. 
Christians are to act as much like Christ as possible. So this shows us that when we get insulted, when people are malicious towards us, we are to remain calm and we are to push the gospel. We are to continue with the gospel. Guys, I know it's crazy, but Jesus said, love those that hate you and pray for those that persecute you. That's what Jesus said to do. We don't take up arms and fight them and punch them and burn their building down or retaliate in revenge. That's not what we do. We pray for them. We pray for them and we love them and we show them the gospel. That's what Jesus tells us to do. So, Several times, Jesus has talked about death. And whenever Jesus talks about death, he talks about it very casually. And the reason why he talks about it very casually is because death in this life should not be a big deal for the Christians. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be sad or that we're not going to miss people. But if one believes in Christ, as the New Testament says, to live is Christ, to die is gain, we know that we are just migrating through this life. It even says in the Bible that this life is like a vapor. It just comes and it goes very quickly. And so Jesus talks about this life very casually because he's thinking eternally, right? Now, the people he's talking to, they weren't thinking like that. And so they got mad. They said, wait a second, you're talking about everlasting life. Like Abraham died, the prophets died, and you claim to be better than Abraham? You claim to be better than the prophets? And that made them extremely mad. And so they asked him, who do you pretend to be? This is ironic because for three years now at this point, Jesus has been telling them exactly who he pretends to be. He has not held any punches about that. He keeps saying, I am the son of God. I am the son of man. I'm the Messiah. If you want to see the father, you're looking at him, right? He's been saying this for three years. Yet because they were so hate-filled, they could not see. They were clouded. Their judgment was awful. They couldn't see the revelation of Jesus. And that brings us to this happy point, right? If we are true followers of Jesus, if we are following the word of God, and if we are teaching the word of God like the word of God is written, people will hate you. We don't like to talk about that. I think Christianity thinks that one day we're going to be like the popular thing to do. One day the world's just going to love Christian movies and Christian music, and we're, which they're not because most of it's terrible. Anyways, but we're, we think that we're just going to be the predominant thing, right? Everyone's going to love to be a Christian, right? The Roman Empire tried that, and it didn't work. In fact, it was really bad for Christianity. Now listen, I believe there will be more Christians that go to heaven than people that will go to hell. I believe that God wins in that regard. But our culture, the culture of the Bible, will never be popular. It will never be the predominant culture of the world, and people will hate you if you adhere and if you subscribe to this book. They will do that. And I know we haven't seen that in the United States yet. Listen, if some people boycott Chick-fil-A, that's not persecution, right? <laughs> persecution is people's heads getting sawed off on the beach of Saudi Arabia. That's persecution. That's bad stuff. And guys, one day, if it's not physical, it will at least be social in this part of the world, in this hemisphere. And I doubt that we're ready for that yet. I doubt that we're ready for that yet. So Jesus alludes to this, right? They start talking about Abraham, right? They, they're associating themselves with Abraham. And Jesus kind of takes this whole debate, this whole conversation up a notch. He said, hey, I basically knew Abraham and Abraham was looking forward to my day. What that meant is this, is that God had set Abraham to be a foreshadowing of Jesus. When Abraham took his son up and was going to sacrifice him to obey God, that was a foreshadowing of Jesus. So Jesus said, Abraham was looking forward to my day. And in fact, I knew Abraham. And their response was this. They're like, wait a second. Jesus, you're 33 years old. Abraham died centuries ago. 
There's no way you could have known Abraham. And Jesus' response to this was huge. Now, if you don't know anything about the gospel or about the Bible, I know people know that Jesus was crucified. The reason Jesus was crucified was not because of his miraculous work. It's not why he was crucified. He was not crucified because he was more popular than the Pharisees. That's not why he was crucified. The reason they killed Jesus was because of the identity that he claimed. And when he said these words, when they said, how can you possibly know Abraham? You're young. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, this is saying a couple of different things. The first thing it was saying is, he was saying, before Abraham was even born, I already existed. Before the foundations of the earth was ever created, I was there. Jesus is essentially saying, I've always been here. I am God. The other thing that he was alluding to more specifically, but along the same lines, is he said, you guys love Moses and you love studying about Moses. When Moses went to the burning bush, right? I've talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Moses went to the burning bush and God was speaking to him. And Moses said, who should I tell everyone that I'm talking to? And what was God's response? Tell them, I am sent you. So when Jesus said, I am, the reason why they picked up stones to kill him is because he was claiming to be their God. Listen, the most divisive phrase that has ever been spoken in human history is this, Jesus is God. That is the most divisive phrase you can ever say. People take such a hard stance on this. Councils have been put together. Wars have been fought. Wars are still being fought over. Is Jesus God? In the fourth century, Constantine, the first Roman emperor to accept Jesus Christ, you know, that's debatable, but he was the first one to, to say that he accepted Jesus Christ. Constantine drew together all the church fathers at the time, right? All the church leaders. These are men who had survived the Colosseum, men who were missing eyes because lions had ripped them out in the Roman Colosseums. He got all these people together, and the whole debate was against a group of people called the Arians. The Arians said that Jesus is not God. And they were going against what Jesus said about himself. So Constantine brought together all the religious leaders, church leaders of the world in the fourth century. And he said, we have to establish once and for all, who is Jesus? And if you go back and read the Nicene Creed, it says this, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And it was written down at the Nicene Creed, and it's been established and reestablished century after century, and people have given their lives for it to stand for the fact that Jesus is God. So at this point, even in Jesus' day, they wanted to kill him because he claimed to be the creator. It says right when he said, before Abraham was, I am, they started picking up stones, right? They're going to kill him. Now, the Old Testament is clear who Jesus is. David talked about it. Isaiah talked about it. Joel talked about it. Many of the prophets talked about it. Moses talks about it. Even as far back as Genesis chapter 3, it talks about the Messiah coming. It was clear. The Old Testament was clear. The miracles were confirmed. Jesus taught the word flawlessly, even as a child. But because they desired what they wanted, they picked up stones to kill the Son of God. Now, the reason why they did this is because God, Jesus, did not conform to their ideology. Jesus did not conform to what they wanted him to be. And because Jesus did not fit in the limited space of their brains, they picked up stones and they wanted to kill him. 
They hated the true God and they hated the people that followed the true God as we see later on in the gospels and as we see later on in the New Testament. So what we learn is this, guys. If we choose to follow Jesus, it is an all or nothing endeavor. It's not just a one prayer and we're done. That's bad theology, guys. Listen, salvation begins with acknowledging that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is Lord, right? There's nothing wrong with that prayer. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. That's wonderful. That's not the end. That's just the launching pad. Our salvation begins with that prayer, but it is consummated. It is brought together. It is brought to fruition by living out the commands of Jesus. If we say we love Jesus, but we don't do Jesus' will, we are liars. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what he said. So salvation begins with us accepting him as our Lord and Savior, but it is consummated, it is brought together. It matures as we start to do what the Bible tells us to do. And listen, if you want to know what a Christian is, it is simply one that follows Christ. It is simply one that follows Christ. And our most common mistake, though, is we think we're smarter than Jesus. I know we won't say it, but we think it. We think we're smarter than the teacher, so we try to take the lead. Let me give you an example, guys. We're all guilty of this too, by the way, including myself. If you go into the Old Testament, through a majority of the Old Testament, Israel was in civil war. Okay, we're not the only country that's been through a civil war. The north and the south were against each other, and there was a king of north and south Israel, right? Judah and Israel, okay? Now, they didn't get along, but there was also warring nations to the east. And so one time... The king of the south calls the king of the north, right? He's got a big block Nokia phone, gives the king of the north a call. It was a long time ago. Gives the king of the north a call and says, hey, we're going to go attack this neighboring country, right? We're going to go attack these people who've been coming against us. Are you in? Do you want to go with us? We'll join our forces and we'll go attack. The king of the north says, sure, let's do it. And then after they agree to it, after they get the troops ready, after they've signed the papers and they're going to go off to war, then the king says, oh yeah, we should also pray about it. Don't we do this? Hold on, I'm going to tell you the end of the story here in a second. Don't we often make the job switch, marry that person, move to that state, make these agreements, do these different career moves, whatever the case may be, and then we ask Jesus to get on board, right? We take the lead. We think we know what's best all the time. So we act in our best interest and we do what we want to do. And they say, oh, hey, Jesus, can you also put your stamp of approval on this? I've already decided. I've already signed the lease. Now I should pray about it. You know what happened when they went and attacked the other country? They got their butts handed to them. You don't want to know why? Because Jesus wasn't on board. Jesus, God didn't want to do that. That wasn't his will. And we often do this and we wonder why we continually fail. Because we're not in the will of God. Before we make that career move, before we get into a deep relationship with that boy or that girl, before we make these different decisions for our family and our children or whatever the case may be, we should consult the Lord in His will first and then act according to His will, not try to twist the will of God to fit me. That's why we continually fail, because we think we're the leader. We think we're in charge, and we fail to remember that God is the sovereign God. And that whatever we ask for in His will will be done. Not in my will, in His will. That's our problem. We try to take the lead. And we often forget 
that there is a heavy cost for following Jesus. There is a heavy cost. If one chooses to follow Jesus, if one chooses to be a Christian, we must accept this word in its entirety. Guys, we're just going to be straight up honest. I'm always honest with you. I do not always like what this book has to say. We're just being honest. I believe it. I follow it to the best of my attention, I, best of my abilities. I believe this word is inerrant. I believe that every single word is inspired by God for my correction, for my reproof, for my good. I believe that. Do I always like it though? No. There are parts of it that I read and I'm like, God, why? Why is it like that? I still submit to it, but it's not easy for me. Let me tell you, let me, let me tell you how Jesus operates. And let me show you how there is a cost to following Jesus, but there's also a reward. So after Jesus died on the cross, right? He's sitting on a beach with Peter, right? He's been resurrected. He and Peter are eating fish on the beach, right? Peter's probably on cloud nine. His savior has come back from the grave. And he's sitting there talking with Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, heck yes, I love you. Yeah, that was the Corey interpretation. Yeah, I love you. Then Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, I love you. And then one more time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yeah, why do you keep asking me that? You know me. You know I love you. And this is what Jesus says to him after that. He says, Peter, one day, people are going to grab you by your hands, and they're going to take you to a place where you don't want to go. And what Jesus was talking about was this. He was telling Peter that one day, people are going to take him, and they're going to kill him for his faith in Jesus. Jesus told Peter, you are going to be violently murdered one day. It's going to be rough. It's going to cost you a lot to follow me. And do you know what he says right after he tells Peter that he's going to be violently murdered? You know what Jesus says? Follow me. That gives me goosebumps. Jesus lets Peter know there's going to be a great cost. And do you want to know why Peter decided to go through with it? Because Jesus promised him that he would give him the keys to the kingdom. Is there a cost? Oh, heck yes, there's a cost. It may cost some of you your very lives. But the king, the king of kings, gives us the keys to the kingdom. Let that soak in for a second. Does it take commitment? Yes. Does it take sacrifice? Yes. Does it take work and perseverance? Of course. It costs us something because it costs God very much. But the rewards, my God, the rewards... Will Jesus discipline us? Yes, he'll discipline you. Yes, a good parent always disciplines their children. Yes, Jesus disciplines. He corrects. Sometimes Jesus is alluded to as being the gardener, right? The one that takes care of the vineyard. And any of you who know anything about botany and plants, you know that sometimes you have to cut branches off, right? You have to remove parts of people. Sometimes Jesus removes friendships, Sometimes Jesus removes unhealthy relationships. Sometimes Jesus removes addictions and he removes stubbornness and he removes rebellion and he removes even sometimes our hopes and dreams. He does that sometimes to us. He intensifies us. He gives us a sense of urgency. He makes us more sensitive to what's going on spiritually. He challenges us and Jesus often disagrees with me. He'll disagree with you too, but he's right, we're wrong. Now, he will do that, and it's hurtful sometimes. He's not trying to hurt us. He's trying to grow us and mature us. But here's what he also does. Jesus and his word restore us. They empower us. 
Jesus, when he died on the cross and he poured out his spirit, we now have gifts of the Holy Spirit, wisdom and knowledge and miracles and healing and these things that we get to operate in, prophecy and tongues and interpretation. We were given these gifts. We're given the fruit of the Spirit that we can be patient and gentle and have self-control and the other gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned that we can have these things. We're empowered to be better people and not for our glory, but for the glory of the kingdom, for the glory of God, that we can be the fathers we need to be and the friends we need to be and the business owners and the employees and the students, the neighbors, the citizens. We can be empowered to do that, that we're encouraged. There's a reason why the Bible says, don't grow weary in doing good, because Jesus knows that we're gonna get tired sometimes. He knows it's gonna be hard, but he says, come on, keep fighting. That's why Paul said, keep running the race. Run like you know that there's a prize at the end. Come on. Paul said that there's a heavenly host of angels cheering us on. That as we fight through life and we push forward, that heaven is going, come on, Corey, you can make it. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. That we're encouraged by the word. That we're encouraged by Christ. That we can be educated that we can be better with our money, we can be better with our family, we can be better with our neighbors, we can be better people because we're knowledgeable that God gives us that. He gives us the truth and the truth separate, uh, sets us free, it liberates us. And that we can be saved. Jesus said that if anyone follows my word, they won't die. They won't die. That's not talking about this life. We're all gonna die in this life. But this life is like smoke. It comes out and then it just dissipates. And then our eternity is left. And Jesus says, if you'll just follow my word, you'll never die. You'll never die. And that's not just salvation for eternity. Guys, and I'm not, I'm not a word worshiper. That's not what I'm talking about. I know some people are derogatory. They make derogative statements about people who read the word so much. But there are words there are stories, there are principles, there are teachings in this book inspired by God that will save your marriage. They will save your relationship. They will save your families. They can save governments. They can save institutions. They can save everything if we will just take the time to trust Jesus and trust his word. Not just salvation for eternity, but salvation now. Restoration now. Healing now. Guys, I don't know how you feel. Man, 2016 was rough. It was rough. We lost David Bowie in 2016. My wife cried. That's a true story. For real, though, it was a tough year, man. It was a tough year at this church. I mean, we had growth, and we had a lot of good things happen at this church, but, man, we felt it, man, like our staff. I felt it in my family. I'm sure many of you felt it. We saw it politically. We saw it culturally. We saw, we, fought, we saw the strife. We saw the tension. We saw the division. 2016's been rough. But I want to ask you this, guys. Christians are the visible ambassadors for an invisible God. If anyone is going to bring the light onto the darkness, it's going to be you. It's going to be me. If anyone's going to go out and change the climate, if anyone's going to go out and reach the neighbor, if anyone's going to speak truth to the Muslim or the Buddhist or the atheist or the agnostic, it's going to be us. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do this year. 
And what I'm going to ask you to do today. First is, guys, last time I'll bug you about it, is you need to do this fast. Get one of those guides. If you don't have a buck, I'll, I'll give you a buck or we'll just, you just take it. Take one of the booklets. Take a bracelet. Do this fast. Commit yourself to 40 days of sacrificing for God and see if God doesn't move mountains in your life. And here's what we're going to do today and during that 40 days. We need to pray that God exposes his will for us. God, I'm not going to make a move until you give me the green light. God, I'm not going to make any major decisions until I've consulted with you first. And we need to ask God to illuminate in us, shine a light on us. God, what do I need to remove? When you get done with that 40-day fast, if you'll do it, you will not listen to music, watch movies the same ever again. I promise you. You will, you will change the way you think and act about a lot of things. You'll taste freedom for the first time. But ask God to illuminate, what do I need to cut out? What do I need to separate from myself? What do I need to pick up? Do I need to start reading more, studying more? Do I need to start praying more? Which you do. All of us do. Guys, we have prayer every single morning from 6.30 to 9.30 in this building. Man, I, I'd love to see more of you here. We have prayer Monday nights at 6.30. Love to see more of you here. What do you need to pick up? And as we take communion today, maybe God will show you what his will is for you in 2017. But I just want to ask you, in that time when we take communion, and if you're praying up at the front, ask God, what do you want from me this year? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to become? What do you want me to do for your kingdom and for your glory? And let's commit to that. Would you bow your heads with me? Hey, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I don't know why I feel the need to say this. That slide when I talked about fear and anxiety, I want to speak to that one more time before we leave. Now, the Bible is very clear. Jesus said that in this life there will be suffering. If you think you're going to escape suffering, you're not. Jesus said you, you will go through suffering. But then Jesus concluded with, he said, take heart. There will be suffering in the world, but take heart. I've already overcome the world. Someone in this room needs to hear that if you will give your 2017, if you will make your New Year's resolution, if you will, to commit to following Jesus on a more intimate level, if you will put your trust in him, will suffering come? Yep. Will hard times come? Of course. This is life. But he is the strong tower. And if you've committed to holding on to the strong tower, you'll be okay. Whatever comes your way, whatever troubles, whatever stress, whatever fear, Jesus will give you the power and the strength and the wisdom and the courage to make it through those times. I promise you. I promise you. So if you choose to take communion, and everyone's welcome to take that, as long as you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, you're welcome to take communion. While you take that, I want to ask you guys, please take a couple of minutes and ask the God, say it out loud, God, what do you want from me this year? Expose to me, what do I need to change? What do I need to do differently, Lord? And listen to him for a second. I encourage you, don't, don't skip out, don't try to go home early. Just take a couple of minutes and do that. If you need prayer, Ty's up here to my right to pray for you. We got people up here to my left. Sandra and Tina are up here to my left. Come up here and get prayer. Let these men and women pray for you. And let's see if we can advance the kingdom of God this year.
Lord Jesus, God, I pray blessings over everyone in this room. God, I pray, Lord, that you expose truth. I pray, God, that everyone who asks with a genuine heart, Lord, what do I need to change? God, start to give them clarity. Start to put things on their heart. Start to put things on their mind. Give them the strength, Lord God, to make the decisions they need to make, regardless of how hard those things may be. Jesus, we want to thank you, God, for for dying on the cross for us and resurrecting, Lord, for giving up your body and your blood, for pouring out your spirit on us so we can be empowered to be what you want us to be. So we can honor you, God, so we can honor your kingdom, Lord. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who is struggling with their faith, if they're an agnostic or an atheist, but God, if they're hungry, if they're searching for the truth, Lord, encourage them. And Lord, let them keep searching because if they keep looking, God, they will find the truth. They will find it and the truth will set them free. Lord, we love you, God. Thank you for bringing us to this day. Thank you for another year. Thank you, God, for another opportunity, God to advance your kingdom on earth and in Murfreesboro. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy New Year, guys. I love you guys so much.